Father, we thank you for another opportunity to open the Word of God and to see its light shining into our darkness, to give us guidance, answers, direction, correction. God, we just praise you this morning that we have such a wonderful opportunity to hear the Word of the Lord. And we ask you to touch with anointing today the words that we speak, that they'll find a lodging place in the hearts of believers. In Jesus' powerful name, amen and amen. How many of you know that we're living in perilous times? Very dangerous times. Crime rate that is soaring. An economy that uh, has just eat up with inflation until our dollars are not worth as much as they used to be. And uh, a pandemic uh, knocking at the door and we're all holding our breath for school to start back, wondering what those numbers will look like then. So it's a, a dangerous time that we're living in. And that uh, should cause us to realize that the Lord is soon coming. Because look around you and all the things that you see uh, are pointing to one super event, and that is the coming of the Lord Jesus. That's the next event that is on God's calendar for this world is the coming of the Lord Jesus. And I'm looking for Him today. There's nothing in this book I preach out of that would prevent Him from coming today. In fact, the Bible said for us to pray, even so, come, Lord Jesus. I would, I'd like to tell you that the churches of America and the churches of the world are growing and are all doing well, but that's really not the case. Not the case. Boy, the pandemic has really made a blow against the church. Sitting around you is about half the congregation that we had before the pandemic. But thanks be to God, there are many people that are watching online that uh, had never watched uh, a service before from Harvest. There are some good things amidst the bad, but uh, there's a need for us to understand that we must be diligent through these difficult times. That we must not become... Uh, lacks, and we must not become uh, inebriated, as one would say, which is a big word for drunkenness on the cares of this life and uh, upset about all that's going on in our, in our world. We need to maintain our, our covenant with God and maintain our identity. A world that is in crisis needs a church that is in revival. I believe that with all of my heart. Christianity, the largest religion in the United States, was 73% of the total population in 2016. In 2014, religious landscape study finds a large majority of those who were raised as Christians in the United States still identify saying they're affiliated with, while the rest no longer identify as Christians, mostly identify as religiously unaffiliated. In 2019, 65% of Americans, adults, described themselves as Christians. In 2020, 47%. That's a loss of 18 percentage points, or one per year. Said so they belong to a church down from 70% in 1999. The number of churches declined by nearly 11%. By 2019, the number of Catholics decreased by 2 million. The Evangelical Lutheran Church in America lost 30% of its congregation and closed 12.5% of its churches. 
The United Methodist Church lost 16.7% of its congregation and 10.2% of its churches. The Presbyterian Church has had the sharpest decline in church membership. Between 2000 and 2015, they've lost over 40% of their congregation and 15.4% of their churches. The Southern Baptist Convention has experienced decline between 2006 and 2020. They've lost 2.3 million members, representing a 14% decrease in membership during that period. The Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, reported in 2021 that the denomination has been declining in membership. In 2020, the church reported 1.8 million total baptized members, a decline from its peak in 1971 when it uh, reported 2.8 million total baptized members. The 2014 Religious Landscape Study shows a large majority, 87% of those who were raised as Christians in the United States still identify as such, while the rest who no longer identify as Christians mostly identify as religiously unaffiliated. The study finds that 90 or 84% of all of those adults born into a Christian family and born into a Christian uh, home, raised in that kind of home, have, are no longer uh, saying that they are members and that they're part of the denomination they grew up with. Most have either gone to another denomination or most have either are unaffiliated now. In 2018, the Minneapolis Star Tribune reported that churches in Minnesota were being closed due to dwindling attendance. Mainline Protestant churches in Minnesota have seen the sharpest decline in their congregations. The Catholic Church has closed 81 churches between 2000 and 2017. The Archdiocese closed 21 churches in, in 2010 and has had to merge dozens more. In roughly the same time, the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America in Minnesota has lost 200,000 members and closed 150 churches. The United Methodist Church, which is Minnesota's second largest Protestant denomination, has closed 65 of its churches. What you're seeing here is a, a, a pattern. I'll skip ahead so it won't be so long. Moderate and liberal denominations in the United States have been closing down churches at a rate three or four times greater than the number of new churches being planted. In other words, we're closing more than we're opening at a large percentage. That's, that's a bad sign. The Public Religion Research Institute 2020 Census of American Religion showed that the overall decline of white Christians in America had slowed, stabilizing at around 44% of the population. The Public Research Institute's 2020 Census of American Religion showed that 70% of Americans identify as Christian. That's a strange number, isn't it? 70% of the people of this country say that they are Christians. It also showed that contrary to expectations, white evangelicals had continued to decline and that they were now outnumbered by white mainline Protestants. One of the wonderful statistics of all of this is the least kind of fallout uh, happened in prominent black churches. Black churches have done a pretty good job of hanging in there. Amen. And I appreciate that and I thank God for that. An article by Adam Gabbett in April 2020 for the British newspaper Guardian 
claimed that an allergic reaction, now they're going to blame it all on us, listen to this, claimed that an allergic reaction to conservative Christians has caused the decline of religion as a whole, primary towards how certain conservative Christians generally do not support the advancement of gay rights and abortion rights, a perspective primarily shared by younger people like millennials. Gabbett and other researchers interviewed in the article particularly blame conservatives for pushing public social conservative policies. So it's we diehards that have caused all the problem. That we won't just cave in and just uh, let anything go, that we still stand for something, and that's the reason people are leaving churches. Well, I just really don't believe that with all my heart because I believe that, that churches that stand for something are, are churches people would be attracted to because, you see, if you stand for nothing, you fall for everything. And if you're a part of something you don't have your heart in, then I don't think you'd probably be worth very much to whatever you're affiliated with. I believe that God touches people in their hearts. I believe that our, our situation, our problem is not a physical, logistic problem. I think our problem is a matter spiritually. I, I think it's spiritually discerned, and I think it's spiritually healed, and it's spiritually remedied. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, then will I hear from heaven, and I will heal their land, and I will forgive their sins. God is looking for someone in this 21st century that will stand up and be counted for what the Bible says and the absolute truth that Jesus came into the world to save sinners and that His blood washes the sin away in people's lives and gives them life abundant. That is the absolute truth of God's Word. And it's, it's difficult. You're, you're drawing a target on your uh, chest when you preach like that and you say there is no other way but Jesus. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And it all goes hand in hand with how we think. How we think. And how we think is attached to our heart. If a man thinketh himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself, the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us to guard our hearts. And he talks about comfort concerning our heart. He talks to, about establishing our heart. He talks about cleansing for our heart. All of those purposeful things happen in our heart. And in our heart is where decisions are made Hallelujah. To be faithful to love the Lord and be faithful to be on the cause of Christ. I know that it is a very, very pressure-packed time. Most of you, including people on this stage, are pressed for time. I realize that. I, I talked about a businessman here. He would tell you he's very pressed for time. Everyone that I know is pressed for time. And I have people tell me, well, Pastor, I can't do this. I can't do that. I've got to do this, and I've got to do that. And then it becomes a matter of choices. It becomes a matter of choices. 
And God gave us a directive about choices. You know what it is, don't you? Seek ye Did you say first? First, the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And then all of these other things that you seem you're so encumbered by now, all of these other things will be added to you when you make a priority to do the work of God. In fact, he says, do that first. And all of these other things. In other words, he's telling you that if you put that tenth in first, the 90% will be more blessed. That if you make a priority out of it to honor God with the first and put him first, so many uh, people have relegated Jesus to the back seat. And so many people have, have relegated Jesus to be a, a non-entity and, and that he uh, isn't to be uh, really taken seriously. But I want to tell you, in these last days, we must finish strong and we must hold our head up and we must uh, present to a lost world that God has still got some people, that God has still got some people that believe the Bible is true, that believe that the blood of Jesus is sufficient, that believe the things this, this Bible teaches. I, I was at a sporting event watching the Grands, and there was this kid, and bless his heart, they blew the whistle, but he wouldn't quit. They blew the whistle, and Steve likes to go watch his grandkids play sports. And this, this kid, brother, they went for a, a, a loose ball, and brother, he come up swinging. And the referee, come here, son, and got him off to the side and said, hey, now, we don't do like that. you gotta got to cool it. You don't sw swing those fists anymore. This is not a fight. This is a ball game. We've got rules here, and you've got to follow the rules. So now let's go and let's, let's play. Put him back in the game. Wasn't long before somebody bumped him a little bit, and he didn't like it. And here he went. But before the referee could get the whistle out of his mouth, that kid's mama was on that floor tackling him sitting straddling him and i never will forget i hearing her holler what in the world was you thinking sometimes you know joel i just want to take church members and say what in the world are you thinking what in the world are we thinking some of the stupid things that we do cause some of the stupid things that happen to us in our lives amen and if, if we don't take the rule book, which is God's Word, and we start making up our own rules, and we start going by our own guidelines, then, my Lord, God says to us, He said, you've forgotten the cleansing. You've walked away from the thing that you ought to embrace. And that is that God's Word tells you how to live. And God's Word will tell you how to walk, and it'll tell you how to relate, and it'll talk to you about such wonderful things that you need to know so that you'll live a happy life. You will be most blessed and God will be most pleased when you make a priority out of living by this book right here. Live by that book. You see, things change for people when they make good decisions. 
And the Bible said we reason these things. Jesus looked at uh, the crowd when he healed a man. And the Bible said, who is this that thinks he can forgive sin? And the Bible said, and Jesus knew their hearts. And he said to them, why reason ye in your hearts? What are you thinking? What are you thinking? You know, for every one of us, that, that thinking part has to happen. You see, everything begins with a thought. Before your brain ever sends a signal to get moving, that electrode first fires off in your brain and you think about it. Everything begins with a thought. So when you, you, you think and reason in your heart and you make faith decisions. Now the Bible said, by faith, Moses chose. By faith, Moses chose not to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, but he chose rather to suffer the afflictions of God's people than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Now, how, what aided him and helped him to make that choice? By faith, Moses chose. I'm going to tell you, if you will make choices according to your faith according to the faith that is inside you that reasoning if God and God's word always comes out on top when you're reasoning and trying to make choices that that's that's where these these decisions are made you see before that Peter ever stepped out and walked on the water he first thought about it and the battle was won in his mind before he ever stepped over the bow of the boat. When he stepped over the bow of the boat and out onto the water, he'd already made the decision. He'd already reasoned it out in his mind and said, this is what I'm going to do. Amen. And he stepped over that bow and begin doing something impossible. Did you know God really loves it when you try something impossible? When you trust God to do something for you that you cannot do, when no other resource can do for you what you need, and God is your only hope. When God becomes all you got, then God will become all you need. All you got. When He's all you got, He'll become all that you'll ever need. Psalm 119.59 I thought on my ways... And I turn my feet unto thy testimonies, O God. Proverbs 4 and 23. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are all the issues of life. When David was laying there in the, in the dust, he had sinned. We all know about his moral failure. 
We all know about his backsliding. We all know about the shame and the embarrassment. And he's laying there, been laying on the ground seven days. Hasn't ate anything. Hasn't taken a bath. You could probably smell him for as far as you could see him. And laying there in his misery, his servants walked out into the courtyard where he was. And the Bible said, and David perceived. What are you talking about, Pastor? Something was going on in his mind. Something was going on. Reasoning was going on in his mind. And while he was laying there and looking at those sad looks on those sad faces by those sad servants, he perceived that the child is dead. In his heart of hearts, in his mind, he came to the realization, my child is dead. But a, a perception is where you make contact first with the issue out of the heart. Out of the heart flow all the issues. And if the issue is determined in your heart, then that determination of your prerogative is all important. He perceived that th that child is dead. Number two, he perceived that child is not coming back to me. Number three, he perceived God can be trusted to help me. He perceived that if I call upon the Lord, next perception he made was, I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Yes, <laughs> yes, I've sinned, and yes, I've fallen on my face. Yes, I've embarrassed myself. Yes, I've miserably, miserably failed in representing God and, and God's people, and I'm embarrassed, and I'm laying here, but my decision is I'm going to get up. And when I get up, then God is going to help me. And God not only is going to help me, I'm going to get myself back where I need to be. I'm going to get myself prayed up. And I'm going to get myself back in tune with God. We hear him pray, Oh, Lord, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, for my sin is ever before me. And when I lie down at night, I say, when shall the night be gone? And I'm full of tossings to and fro unto the dawning of the day. Have you ever had an issue keep you up all night? Have you ever walked the floor at midnight wringing your hands because you didn't know what you would do? Have you ever been in a situation where you had no viable way to go and you just waited on God has anybody in this house ever waited on God anybody ever just waited on God it's the toughest discipline of all the Christian faith is wait on God his ways are not our way, and His time is certainly not our time. I'd like to ask Him when I get to heaven, what is so special about 3 o'clock in the morning? 
Everybody I've ever heard had a testimony, Don, you probably too, has always been 3 o'clock in the morning. I was walking the floor. I was praying at 3. Well, he can do it at 3 o'clock in the afternoon too. He can do it any time he wants to do it. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall walk and not be weary. They shall run and not faint. Oh, God, touch us and help us and teach us how to wait upon God in these times we're living in. Waiting upon God. You see, things changed for David when his perception changed. When you change your perception, it'll change your actions. Know this, Satan will always bring a thought to destroy you. Satan will always bring a thought to destroy you. He begins his attack with a thought. For as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So what goes on in our heart is so important that if Satan can intercept at the thought process before it ever becomes an action, if he can get it while it's still in its embryonic state, while it's still just a thought in your mind, and the thing that he will do is he will bring a thought to you and try his best to derail your thinking. Romans 10, 10, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Proverbs 15, 13, A merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance, but by sorrow of the heart the spirit is broken. Psalm 37, 31, The law of his God is in his heart, and none of his steps shall slide. None of his steps shall slide. Well, that tells me that the opposite is true, too, that if you're not thinking right, you'll slip and slide around all over the place. And slip and slide, and people don't usually amount to much good, do they? Because they can't stand. You'll get that in a minute. Psalm 37, the law of his God is in his heart. Luke 5, 21, and the scribes and Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this speaketh blasphemies? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answering said unto them, What reason ye in your hearts? Luke 21, 34, you got this one. And take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your heart be overcharged with suffering and drunkenness and the cares of this life so that that day comes upon you unawares. Where did that warning come from? Straight from the lips of Jesus. Straight from the lips of Jesus. Don't allow your heart to be overcharged. The Greek word is epibareo, and it means to put a burden on, to load with a heavy weight. The Bible calls that heaviness, is it, Don, of a spirit? Heaviness of spirit? Have you ever had 
something to hit you so hard that it knocked you to your knees? Have you ever had some news come that just knocked you to your knees, knocked the breath out of you spiritually, knocked the life out of you spiritually? And for that moment, you just came apart at the seams, at your wit's end. Is that a saying we use? This weight, this suffering, being overcharged to put a weight upon. Well, I'll tell you what you do with weights. And lay aside every weight that doth so easily beset us. Where's that happen at? In your mind. Put off those things. Is that the words he uses? Put off evil speaking. Put off false accusation. Put off grief. Put off those things. For the child of God, you possess an editing device. And that is you can take something off. What does that mean? I can lay aside the grief that so easily besets me. I can lay aside the worry about my financial condition that so easily besets me. I can throw off the words on the doctor's report that so easily besets me. What is he saying? In your mind, if you can perceive, in your thought processes, if you can be convinced that God can do it for you, if you can get to the place in your perception in your perception of God and His power, then you can believe, and the Bible said, if you believe, all things are possible. If you can believe. Jesus even said it like this, whatsoever things you desire, when you pray, believe, and you will have them. And He went a step further, and He said, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. What a word that is for us. I can do all things through Christ. I can lay aside every weight through the Lord Jesus Christ. I can cast off all the fear and the anxiety and the frustration. I can throw it off through Christ who strengthens me because I can do all things. All things through Christ. And then he says, not only lest your heart be overcharged. It means to put a burden on or to put a weight upon with suffering. Suffering. You know what the word suffering comes from the krea pale word in Greek, and it means drunken nausea. Don't know about you, but for us southeastern Tennessee people, that means a hangover. A puking hangover. A headache and hangover. A feel miserable hangover. You mean sometimes spiritually? You get to feeling so bad spiritually, it's like someone having a hangover? 
And Jesus used the strange words, let not your heart. Who's going to do the letting? Let not your heart be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and the affairs of this life, the cares of this life. What is he saying? You don't have to take it if you don't want it. If you don't let it, boy, that's good preaching. I'm just about to shout a little bit. That if you don't want that kind of nausea and that kind of hangover and headache and bad feeling, if you don't want that, he said, then don't let it. Don't let your heart be overcharged. Don't let your heart suffer all of that pain and mess that goes on. Don't let your heart, don't put your heart through that. Take heed. A heart is bad or it's good depending upon what's in it. You just don't let the heart, your spiritual center of being, become a depository for Satan to put his negative, pessimistic, atrocious garbage in. Don't let your heart become a dumping place. Do you remember it was Judas that got up from the table and walked out of the room? And the Bible said as he left the room, then Satan entered his heart. Before then, it was just a thought. Before then, it was just a perception. But suddenly, the devil entered his heart. And what was a thought now become an action and became behavior. Can you believe that? Over in the book of Acts, the Bible said there was a couple named Ananias and Sapphira. And Ananias made a pledge to the church. He said, I've got a piece of property. And he said, when I sell that piece of property, I'll take the money and just give it to the church. So he sold the property and took the money. But he said, that's a whole lot of money. And, you know, I don't need to give all this to the church. And the Bible said that he gave a portion. And that he went in and put it on the altar and smiled real big. Yeah, I'm, I'm one that blesses God, you know, financially. And Peter said, Ananias! Why have you allowed Satan to put it in your heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? And I'll let somebody sitting close to you tell you what happened to him then. But he needed a mortician instead of an emergency room. Put it in our heart. Don't let the devil put things into your heart. I'll close with this one. A wise man's heart is at his right hand, but a fool's heart is at his left hand. Got any left-handed people here? Well, we're in the minority, but I got you some news. We're smarter than all these other folks sitting around. You do know that being left-handed is a sign of intelligence. 
Well, I'm all messed up anyway. I, I throw right-handed, I swing right-handed, I eat left-handed, and I write left-handed, and, uh, and I shoot right-handed. I just do it all kind of ways. Is it ambidextrous? Is that what they call me? Or messed up? Willie said it's more like messed up. Real softly, sweetie. You see, a wise man's heart is at his right hand, but a fool's heart is at his left hand. In that context, and you have to take every scripture in context, the right hand is a place of honor. Do you remember the scripture that says, looking unto Jesus, Hebrews 12, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is sat down at the, the right hand. When Stephen was beat to a bloody pulp by the stoning aristocracy of Judaism, and he looked up into heaven, and by God got over, got the curtain, rolled the curtain back, and he said, Look up here, Stephen. And Stephen, the Bible said, looking steadfastly into the heaven, said, I see Jesus. Where is Jesus? He's standing at the right hand of the Father. In fact, the Bible said, at his right hand, there is pleasure and there is bliss forevermore. Hallelujah. The right hand is a place of honor. It's a place where worship, it's a place where good things happen. Honor. The left hand is right the opposite. You remember when they separated sheep and goats? What was on the right hand? You think I'm tricking you, don't you? Sheep. Sheep were on the right hand. That only leaves one more option. Where were goats? Left hand. So the right hand is a place of honor. It's a place of peace and a place of joy. But it said, but for a foolish heart. Do you notice the comparison? You know all those comparisons about wise and foolish, don't you? You started singing it in card class. The wise man built his house upon the rock. Foolish man built his house upon the sand. You've always got this contrast between right, wrong, good, bad, wise, foolish. And in every instance, that foolish heart reaps a terrible benefit. The right hand. The hand is also where direction goes on in people's lives. Don, if you wanted me to stop, how would you signal that with a hand? That mean, How'd you know that means stop? Has for six, six years. That means stop. If you wanted me to come to you, how would you signal with your hand for me to come? Yeah. If you're trying to get me to go a certain way, what would you do with your hand? Are you getting it? So that right hand does more than just receive honor. It directs the heart. I said it directs the heart. Praise the Lord. What do you get direction about? And the very God of peace directs your hearts 
into the patience of the Lord and the patient waiting for the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Direct your heart. In fact, that right hand is so important in directing that you can talk with that hand. Praise the Lord. The direction that goes on. You can direct things in your heart and things in your life. You can direct them because you're on God's right hand. And if you're on God's right hand, then you've got the power to direct those things. You don't have to be just a victim. You can be a victor. You don't have to be underneath. You can be above. Well, hallelujah. During the tribulation period, during the latter part, when the Antichrist declares that one must receive the mark of the beast in order to buy or sell the mark, look at Revelation 13 and 16. He said, put that mark in his right hand. Not his left hand, but in his right hand or in his forehead. Why does he not want that right hand or that left hand? He wants the right hand because that's where you direct. He wants to identify as a conqueror that has overpowered the Lord and what God wants to do in your life. It is as if he is claiming somebody for his own. And in essentiality, he really is. Because the Bible said all of them that had the mark of the beast were turned into a terrible hell. Our testimony depends upon the condition of our hearts. He said, I want your hearts. David said, I've hidden his word in my heart that I might not sin against God. Your heart needs to be an informed heart. That's number one, Susan. Number one, your heart needs to be an informed heart. Your heart needs to be a fixed heart. David said, yea, my heart is fixed on thee. Oh God, my heart is fixed. Your heart needs to be a clean heart. David prayed and said, Lord, put within me a right spirit and create within me a clean heart. Your heart needs to be a pure heart. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Oh, I could preach the rest of the day on heart. You, you thought I was just getting going, didn't you? Praise God. It's a much larger matter than we really think it is. I, old timers used to say this, if you get a man's heart right, he'll live right. You know what? I believe that to be true. I used to sing an old song. How about your heart? Is it right with God? That's the thing that counts today. Is it black with sin? Is it pure within? Would you ask Christ in to stay? People often see you as you are outside, but Jesus really knows you, for He sees inside. How about your heart? Is it right with God? That's the thing that counts today. You see, if your heart's not right, there's no way you can make anything else get right. No way you can get anything else right. 
They call this time we're living in right now the great resignation. In other words, folks are quitting. They call it cancel culture. Things change, changing that never has changed before. Things that society is saying, we're not going to put up with that anymore. One of the things they're not going to put up with is us Christians standing for old-fashioned morals and us conservatives saying that that's wrong and that's wrong. And we'll always be a problem as long as we stand for something. But I want to tell you, I like to know that I like for the devil to know why I'm here. The Bible says, only he who now let will let until he be taken out of the way. I love to think I'm in the devil's way. Sometimes Charles Debbie will tell me, you get on out of here and get out of my way. Would you pick that stuff up and get it out of my way? You know what she's saying? Get out of here. I wonder sometimes if the devil even knows we're in his way. I wonder if we're making enough fuss that the devil even cares that we're here. I want him to know I'm here. I want him to know that I have purposed in my heart. Is that what those Hebrew boys said? Said we have purposed in our hearts that we're not going to defile our bodies with the king's meat and the king's drink. We've purposed in our heart. He says, then you're going to die. And they said, that may be, but if that's the way it is, our God is able to deliver us. But if he does not, we've purposed in our heart. Wow. That's what it says. That's right. And I want to be a part of that, that group. Brenda, that one day hear him say, and y'all laugh at me sometimes. You'll hear this a lot of times if you're rather new to the church, you'll hear this. I may not ever hear him say, well done, but I want to hear him say, well tried. May not hear him say, well done, but I want to hear him say, well tried. Because that's the only thing I can control is the trying part. And I'm going to tell you, if this place is empty and there's nobody in it but me, I'll get up here on Sunday morning and preach like I'm preaching this morning. The day the Lord comes, I'll be right here doing what I always do. The day the Lord comes, He'll find me walking. Hallelujah! Walking the walk and talking the talk. The day the Lord comes, He'll hear me singing the song. The, the day the Lord comes, He'll hear me testifying of His goodness and greatness. Because I intend to go the last mile of the way, don't you? I intend to make it. I really do. Stand with me, please. Well, I tell you what. I understand that culture has become resignation culture. Well, I'm going to call harvest, harvest recovery. We're going to get some of these folks healed up that's at home sick, and we're going to get them back in church. We're going to get some folks healed up. I said, we're going to get some folks healed up. We're going to get some folks back on top. 
We're going to get some folks blessed and strengthened and energized. Amen? Amen. Recovery. Somebody say recovery. 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 What's that song we used to sing when David was here? We're going to take back what the devil stole. I don't know about the theology of that because he can't steal anything that uh, God's given to us unless I let him. But if we've got to take it back, then we'll go run him down and take it back. You see, David's heart was so fixed that when this, and I'll go, I promise. David's heart was so fixed that when he walked out to face Goliath, he perceived right, he's bigger than me. He perceived right, he reasoned right. According to the way this looks, I don't have a chance. According to all the bets, they're all on him, not on me. But he said, I don't care. I'm going to walk out there in that valley of Elah and I'm going to represent the Lord before that pagan and he's going to give me the victory and he's going to deliver that giant into my hands and I will do the impossible because God is on my side. Hallelujah! Had the right perception. Can't lose. How in the world can you lose, he said. And he walked out there and he took that sling and it began winding up. And the Holy Ghost got in his arm and then it got in that sling and then it got in that rock. And like a propelled rocket, it went straight to the forehead of that giant and he fell dead. You can do impossible things if you prioritize and make Jesus Lord. Make Jesus Lord. Thank you, God, for allowing us to be in your house. Thank you that it, a matter of the heart can be blessed and fixed and healed and washed when Jesus is entered into the equation. God, I ask you to move upon us today, O oh Lord. God, harvest needs recovery. Harvest needs a, a move of the Holy Spirit. Harvest needs a touch of God. Harvest needs a stirring, O oh God. Harvest, O oh Lord, needs you to come down and, Lord, meet with us in such a powerful way that we experience revival, that our lost loved ones get saved and people that don't know you find their way to an altar of prayer and change their heart. Oh, God, would you wrap your arms around this church with great love and great power and great anointing so that we'll never be the same. Lord, help us to break free from these bonds. Help us, oh Lord, to break out of these prisons. Help us, oh Lord, to throw off these shackles. And help us, God, to do the things you'd have us to do and be your voice in this great climactic hour that we're living in now. We thank you for it. Would you give God some praise for about 30 seconds? The best praise that you've got. The best praise you've got. The best praise you've got. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We bless your name. We praise you. We glorify you. We lift you up. We magnify your name. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord and forget not all of his benefits. And now, Lord, dismiss us from this place, but not your sight. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. 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 God go with you. You have the greatest week ever in your life. You are my champion.